Uh, well, let's talk to Adnan Verk, who joins us now from MLB NHL Network. I don't know how we got into this. We're talking about Coolio and Dangerous Minds and best years for movies. Uh, I'll pitch it by you, Adnan, uh, who joins us every Thursday. Uh, is there a best year for movies for you? Uh, all right, Peter Coolio, but I'm already loving where this conversation is going because <laughs> all I heard was Dog Day Afternoon and one for the Cuckoo's Nest. Let's go. <laughs> 1975, tremendous. Uh, Louise Fletcher just passed away. Of course, she played That's right. Ratchet. Yeah. And a month ago, I rewatched Cuckoo's Nest for the first time in probably for 20 years, and it is sensational. Like, I mean, I saw it when I was a teenager, and I thought, this is a really good movie, and I love Chief. And I kept thinking about The Simpsons, who did that great riff on it where Barney plays Chief. But I watched it again, and I go, everyone's at the height of their powers. Nicholson's outstanding. Milos Foreman's directing. You got Danny DeVito, Christopher Lloyd, a beautiful script. I mean, especially with today's focus on mental health and mental illness, that, that is an extraordinary movie. Dog Daffodil is one of my favorite of all time. Of course, Pacino, John Cazale, the great Sidney Lumet, Pearson, the screenplay. But back to your point, best movie year. 94 is pretty good. I heard you guys mention it, mainly because it's top heavy. Mm-hmm. And of course, Forrest comes to the worst of the ones that was nominated for best picture. But Shawshank stands out, Pulp Fiction, Lion King, and the wonderfully underrated quiz show mm-hmm. with Turturro, and of course, Ray Fiennes, directed by Robert Redford. Right. But I'm going with 1999. It's so good. Brian Raftery literally wrote a book two years ago. It's called 1999, best movie year ever. It's got everything you want. It's got uh, Fight Club. It's got Magnolia. It's got um, The Matrix. I mean, it's it's right. a really, really strong year. 1999, being John Malkovich, which they love, it's a really, really strong year. 1999. Uh, before we move on, I know Izzy wants to uh, bring up a take that we bring up every single time Izzy hosts the show. <laughs> so I'll, 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 before we get to baseball, Adnan, I'll, I'll let Izzy pitch one more question to you. All right, Adnan. So uh, this came up on a show probably a couple years ago. At least a couple years ago. Bick was doing a hot take, and he went out there with Guy Ritchie is what people think Quentin Tarantino is. <laughs> Basically equating... Guy Ritchie's whole filmography to Quentin Tarantino's. Uh, I, I like Guy Ritchie. I think he's made some fun, entertaining movies. I don't think that he's reached the heights that Quentin Tarantino has, so I let Bick have it for about 20 minutes. The text box lined up on my side. You are the movie guy, so we, we thought we had to run it by you as well, so you can maybe yell at Bick a little bit. Yeah, I don't want to blow up my vocal cords, but that is just an absurd take beyond all measure by Bick. And uh, I applaud you, Izzy, for showing some restraint, and thank you for uh, respecting my credentials. But, yeah, I mean, Guy Ritchie's in a couple of good movies. Like you said, lock, stock out of the gate. Snatch has some funny moments. Brad Pitt is uh, unintelligible. Cool. Got it. Other than that, he's made a bunch of nonsense. And even, like, his even like his comebacks, like, it's like, oh, the old Guy Ritchie, here's rock and roll. Nobody saw it. Nobody cared. So, like, he Great movie. literally, I'm not kidding, he's had two good, he's had two good movies. He's in a couple movies that are callbacks of those, which are inferior to the originals. Tarantino has literally changed filmmaking. I mean, Pulp Fiction was a seismic event. Reservoir Dogs still holds up. I think he was 26, mm-hmm. and he made that movie, not to mention the fact he deals with all these different genres. Guy Ritchie just does the tough guy gangster movies, but Tarantino has done a black exploitation homage with Jackie Brown. He's done a kung fu homage with Kill Bill. You know, what's about some of Hollywood and Ode to 70 Cinema? Like, there's, there's a lot more range to Tarantino than there is to Guy Ritchie. That's basically you just saying, hey, you can go to the Cheesecake Factory and get something with, like, 800 different items on it or someone who specializes oh in one my thing. God. That's basically what you just said to me. So I'll, I'll choose the specialty restaurant, Adnan. <laughs> but, it, but again, it, the caveat is it's a specialty restaurant, but it's still not that great. So you're like, <laughs> they, they just give one tip of cheesecake, but it's not like it's the best cheesecake, but it's okay. Like, all right. It just, it just, it, 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 it serves a very small audience. Own a genre, I would say, rather than to uh, pretend you, you, you own the entire industry. That's oh, all, man. This, it's just, it's one of your worst takes, Bick, and you have a few. 
Uh, all right, let's get into uh, what happened last night. Uh, we saw 61. Uh, cool moment, or uh, was it a bit underplayed? Because I feel like as the crescendo came to this day, um, there's been a lot of pushback from people saying, well, okay, 61, but like he hasn't broken the AL record yet, and he still might. But also, it feels like the the 73 crowd has reemerged in the last little bit. Yeah, I don't care for that crowd. I thought it was an incredible moment. Ever since he got to 60... I have not missed an at-bat. Going back to last Wednesday against the Pirates, I watched every game this weekend against the Red Sox, and, like, you know, obviously I'm in and out doing other things, but I kept checking my phone. When's Judge coming up? So I was DVRing. I did not miss an at-bat. Now, it started to drone out a little bit, although I was kind of amused by it, to be honest. I was like, maybe this will go right down the wire. Maybe in Texas on Wednesday, he still will not have hit a home run, and then he'll hit two, and it'll be amazing. But I was enraptured by it. If you're a baseball fan, there's only so many numbers that are really off the special, and that is one of them. You know, I, I think it's 714, obviously, Babe Ruth. And then Hank Aaron's 755. And I think it's 61 when it comes to single season home runs. And, yes, Fawcett is 73. And I suppose technically is a home run king. But everyone knows he did not do that um, by the letter of the law. So, to me, it's always Maris. And if you want to qualify and say American League record, sure. To me, it really is uh, the true home run champion. By the way, Roger Maris Jr. said that himself last night. Because mm-hmm. when Aaron breaks, I do believe he's the guy who's done it. So, I thought it was amazing. I watched every single at bat, like I said, last night and, and the amazing thing, the stat I read going into yesterday was of his last, you know, seven games prior to his last home run, only 27% of pitches he had seen had been in the strike zone. So it was Bonds-esque in that you'd watch Barry Bonds, and this guy never gets any pitches to hit. He gets one to hit, and then he crushes it, which was amazing. Um, so similarly with Judge, I'm like, you know, the Jays pitchers are just pitching around him and being smart. They're not giving anything good to hit. But I swear to you, you guys will think I'm lying, but I swear to you, I had a feeling he was going to do it last night against Mesa. Because I watched the whole game, and it was a pretty close game right now. Mesa being a lefty, might try to challenge him. And sure enough, you know, basically every at bat, right, was going to full count, especially against the Blue Jays. But I love the fact it was a no doubter. If you recall, when McGuire hit 62, it was hilarious because Joe Buck's call said, Is it enough? Mm-hmm. Gone. But it was the shortest home run McGuire hit all year. Right. Just, I always think of my brethren. In this case, Michael Kay and Dan Schulman, you want it to be a no-brainer. You do not want it to be a home run call. We're like, ah, I'm not sure. <laughs> and actually, I, I listened back. Kay saved himself. He said, hit well to left. This could be it. Or something like that. So just in case it wasn't. So he's like, hit deep to left. This could be it. See ya. Then he gave his call. Then he didn't shut up, which I thought was a bad call. He should have just stopped. He kept <laughs> going the entire time around the base. He's tied, Myers. The American League record. Oh, we'll never get it. No, no, just call it. That's it. Schulman, if you listen to the call, by the way, for all your broadcasting, would be out there. He was great. Understated because he's the voice of the Blue Jays. It wasn't lose his mind, mm-hmm. but he called it dignified the way we go. But I, I thought it was an awesome moment. I, my favorite part of it was Roger Maris Jr. Like, it's such a cool thing to be really kind of honoring your father. He traveled north of the border just to see this moment. Home run gets hit. You immediately see a mouth of word congratulations. Gives Aaron Judge his mama hug. I thought it was a really sweet moment. And I love when Aaron Judge rounded second base. You saw him. Either he was pointing at his mom or he was pointing at Roger Maris Jr. Either way, classic tribute from a guy who's awesome. And, and I hope now, listen, six games get one home run. I hope he can do it because 62 would be awfully special. You mentioned Maris, and as Vic said, there's this return of, well, Bonds is the true home run king and all of that, but there's the other side of it where Roger Maris Jr. is at the game. Roger Maris is being talked about. It's the Yankee record. It's the American League record. Speaking of movies, there's actually a half-decent movie about 61 uh, involving Roger Maris, but that's kind of like... I think the average baseball fan uh, today, maybe not the fan that digs into the history and really follows the game closely, will know who Roger Maris is. But it, it, I think it's been interesting to see sort of his legacy get explained again because it's, it is a fascinating story when he got to 61 in, in the way that that 
is still a kernel in baseball history. It's well said, Izzy. It's one of my favorite parts. Whenever there's a record being approached, people often focus on the guy who had the record and why it's so meaningful. So with Maris, you know, that year, I believe he only hit 270, maybe 269. Like, didn't get intensely walked once because Mantle was hitting behind him. There was so much adoration for Mantle, who was the golden boy, and everyone felt he should be the one to break the record. So Maris wasn't even beloved by his own team, was under so much stress, started losing clumps of hair as the season progressed. Like, it's just, it's amazing stories. And yet Maris was able to do it and become the home run king. And I do like that movie, Billy Crystal made 61. Uh, Barry Pepper, a doppelganger for Roger Maris, had a very good Thomas Jane as a charismatic Mickey Mantle. But I think it's a really nice moment. And to your point, my wife doesn't know much about sports, and she's been seeing me watching every at bat. And she says, I just think it's cool you passed Babe Ruth. She says, I don't know who Roger Maris is, but once you see he's got more home runs than Babe Ruth, I'm like, oh, that's pretty impressive. So <laughs> it depends on the person, but you can appreciate the record in, in whatever way you like. Hey, I, I said off the top of the show, I kind of enjoyed that the ball landed in the bullpen and, and not with the fans. And we didn't have to go through this whole struggle of taking the fan, the, the, the money, the, all that conversation. It was just easy. Hey, give it to them. It was done with. And we got a lot of thoughts coming into uh, the, the inbox. Where do you land on the ball with fans and all that sort of stuff and, and what you're supposed to do with it? So I started at ESPN May 3rd, 2010. Sarah Walsh started two weeks later. She's a wonderful person. The reason I mention it, Sarah Walsh's husband is Matt Bushman. Mm-hmm. Bushman is the Jays' bullpen coach who caught the ball. And Sarah had the funniest tweet of the night in which she said, bad news is I'm in Florida stuck in a hurricane. The good news is I'd like to announce my retirement tomorrow. <laughs> I was like, wow, I can't believe Bushman caught the ball. Well, he's a great guy. Huge movie guy, by the way. Big Kubrick guy. Every time, I've only met him a couple of times. He just wants to talk Kubrick and Eyes Wide Shut and the lighting in Barry Lyndon. So he definitely knows his movies <laughs> along with his baseball. But uh, Bushman did the right thing and gave up the ball right away. But I, uh, I mainly texted my buddy Ryan Marcillo, who said, yeah, what an athlete, what a catch. But, yes. I know that becomes a big hullabaloo with the fan. And, yes, the classy move is if you catch it, to give it to judge for a signed uh, you know, autograph, couple of bats, baseballs. But I got four kids, boys. I, to- I don't begrudge anybody who says, uh, I'm selling the ball. I've got to get kids. I want to pay off my mortgage. Like, yes, you are a wonderful person if you just give back to baseball. But if you go ahead and sell it, I got no issue with you. Remember Todd McFarlane, the spawn creator? He paid millions upon millions for the McGuire and Sosa balls which now aren't worth nearly what they were. But, hey, if someone's willing to pay that, I have no issue whatsoever. Everybody comes from different backgrounds. You want to sell it, do what you got to do. My thing is just sell it back to the team, right? Just because you can negotiate that price, but the the auction house and highest bidder, I, I just, hey, man, give it to the team, give it to the player. It matters more to them. Listen, if I caught it, I would tell Aaron Judge, literally, I have four kids. Let's do the math. American college is 40000 a year. 40 times 4 is one six. You give me $700,000, I'll give you this baseball. I'm like, all right, we're good. <laughs> I know you're good for it, Aaron. You're about to get $300 million. You can do this. That's true. He's got, he's got the contract coming up. But I guess before we get to that offseason, you know, the Yankees are headed to the postseason, and they've had a bit more of an up-and-down second half after being really good in the first half. Uh, when you look at... How are we going to remember this judge season? Uh, he's got the record, or he's tied the record now, and will probably break it. But who knows? Over the next week or so. Um, but with you know, this is this is the Yankees after all. Uh, where where does this rank? Are people going to be talking about this as a season for the ages? No doubt. I mean, when you look at his numbers overall, is he his OP? I mean, first of all, just the home runs. Just what a gargantuan lead. 
Like the fact he's got 61 and like the next guy's got 40 is just absurdity. And that's not just in the AL against the NL as well. Schwarber's the only guy who's hit 40 as well. Or sorry, Peter Alonso just got 40 as well. But RBI, healthy advantage over Jose Ramirez. And the fact that if he wins the batting crown, which is going to be neck and neck with Arise and Bogarts, I mean, that's, it really will be one season for the ages. No Yankees on the Triple Crown since Mantle in 56. Garrett's the only other guy to do it back in 34. Miggy, of course, did it in 2012. And that was the first guy in 50 years. So I know Super Metrics would say Triple Crown isn't as important, but I do think this is a season for the ages. Even if right now he stops and he ties Maris and that's it, no. Those numbers are really remarkable to have that kind of a year because you have to look at it within the context of what other players are doing. And as a Yankee team, my buddy Aaron Boone put it well. I don't know how many people were calling the Yankees to win the division. He's right. The trendy pick was the Blue Jays. Right. Or maybe the Rays will prove mm-hmm. it again. Or maybe the Red Sox. And no, not, not a lot of people were calling the Yankees to win the division, and they win their 20th division title. Now, obviously, it's going to be important what happens come playoff time. But I think if you look back at this season, you're going to go, wow. Yankees weren't expected to win the title. They won, let's say, 100 games and the division, number two by. And by the way, Aaron Judge booked the home run record. Pretty strong year for the pinstripers. Uh, you mentioned the Blue Jays. I feel like we've had this conversation uh, multiple times throughout the course of the year, but it, it it felt like that series, once again, was a microcosm of just kind of who they are, uh, young players still developing, and just these minor mental mistakes. And ultimately, look, they're, they're, they're small plays, but you're building towards the playoffs, and you want to eradicate these small plays of, like, legging it out to second. And is, is, is this still just a young team, or ultimately it's, it's just – is this who they are? No, I think they're a young team, Beck. I, I wouldn't crucify them. I mean, I'm with you that you can't have little mistakes trip you up. But ultimately, this is a good baseball team. They're better, uh, especially in the second half. This September, they've been a top-five team in baseball. So if you want to go into the playoffs with momentum, Toronto is certainly going to do that. I think John Schneider's been a breath of fresh air. I think Charlie Montoya's a good man, but they needed to change, and Schneider's definitely given them that. And ultimately, they're pitching. You know, it's, rather than the show two-and-a-half men, Charlie Sheen and John Cry, they've got three and a half men. You know, you've got Manoa, who's a top ten pitcher in baseball. You've got Gosman, who's excellent. You got Stripling, who's actually been a pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. And then you got Barrios, who's either really good or just stinks. So I'm giving him a half. Now, I don't know if Ross Stripling's starting game three <laughs> of the playoff series. You gave Barrios over $100 million. I'm pretty sure he's your guy. But you don't know what you're getting with Barrios. I asked Alex Cora, actually, about him because, you know, Cora knows him both Puerto Rican, et cetera. And AC goes, he's just become too predictable. Like he goes, we mm. just know what he's going to give us, and that's it. So Barrios has got to be a lot less predictable and pitch better because I think he's going to be so important to this Blue Jays team if they make a sustained run. Like I said, Manoa and Gossman are going to bring it. Barrios has to as well. Offensively, Bo has been remarkable. Obviously, Vladdy's had this very strong on-base streak. They've got other contributions from Raimel Tapias and guys like that. So, yeah, I think the Jays, they are where they are. Like, ultimately, they were not good enough to win the division because of the fact their pitching let them down. But can they make some noise come playoff time? Yeah. But I still have them behind the Astros. I have them behind the Yankees. I have them ahead of the Mariners, who have completely fallen off. So that's the good news there for Toronto. Seattle looks terrible. Well, with the Jays then, because um, you look back at 2016, and that team still had the hype from the 2015 run, but realistically toward the end of that season they had kind of fallen apart but everything turned when they beat the Orioles in the wild card game and then they sweep Texas and they get to the ALCS where they they lose to Cleveland but people remember that season much more fondly is there a scenario here where the Jays because we know that the ceiling is high we know that the upside when the offense is going when Bo is hitting the way that he has when Vlad is playing to the best of his abilities that they could get hot and I still think that it's going to take a lot to beat Houston but that is there is a path for them to get to the championship series, is there not? 
I suppose, Izzy, but I'm skeptical. Kind of like what we're talking about. I just don't think they've got the horses to line up. Like, I think they're better than the Mariners, that they can beat the Rays in one gamer. I think people underestimating Cleveland should be wary. I know they're a bad division, but Tito, my man Terry Francona, has got those guys rolling, and they got great starting pitching, leading with Bieber. Of course, our man Cal Quantrill, Prada Port Hope, Ontario. Ramirez is awesome. Their offense doesn't strike out. Like, it's really interesting. They don't hit a lot of home runs, but they don't strike out. They're old school. They make contact all the time. They're number one in one-run wins. They're number one in comeback wins. If they're one of those teams, you do not want to face them come playoff time because they're going to be tough to beat. So I think that, you know, either match, like I said, if it's Jays, Mariners, I like them to win there. Jays, Rays, okay, especially if it's a three-game series. But I think it's going to be a challenge for them to try to beat those other teams. Houston, they just don't match up well against them. I think Houston's pitching is clearly better, and their offense is strong. Again, with the Yankees, I think their starting pitching is better, especially with Luis Severino back. And uh, that's why I think it could be a challenge for Toronto. I, I think they can win a series, but I don't see them making damage, no. Is there a uh, playoff matchup that you're, you're, you're taking an eye on and, and saying, okay, I really want to see this one? Astros-Yankees. I mean, that's the one. It's, it's a rematch, and I think it's the two best teams, and they're teams that don't like each other, and there's still bad blood about what happened in the past and the whole cheating scandal. So, yeah, to me, it's, that's what will be interesting. And I just always like something different. You know, Astros-Dodgers, we should be the top two seeds. That'd be a rematch of the 2017 World Series. The Dodgers have set a franchise record, most wins in a single season, which knows if you don't want it, that means they're not going to make the World Series. That's the thing about baseball. Those one seeds rarely get there. There's always an upset at some point. So I'm kind of hoping Mets-Yankees, maybe just because I live here in Jersey, a Subway Series would be fun to see. But I'm hoping for something different. As far as playoff series, I think Mets-Dodgers would be an awful lot of fun in the National League. DeGrom and Scherzer against that Dodgers lineup. Are you kidding me? And like I said, I think Yankees-Astros, see if the Giant could slay it. That'd be fun to watch. Uh, what about in the wild card round then? Uh, which one stands out? If it plays out the way we think it should here, uh, Mariners, Guardians, Rays, Jays, Phillies, Cards, Padres, Braves, which one stands out to you? Uh, I think Padres Braves is pretty good just because the, the Braves, I mean, they're a 100-win team. So you would expect the fact that like, they're going to bring it. But at the same time, the Padres are interesting in that, you know, A.J. Preller sold the farm here. He was totally expecting this team to be a true contender. That's why he made this move for Juan Soto. So I'm just curious. San Diego has played a lot better recently, but I don't think they want to be a team that goes in the playoffs and just loses two games and that's it. They have much bigger aspirations by acquiring Josh Bell and Josh Hader and Drury and all the rest of it. So I, I think Padres Braves would be very intriguing to me. AL, not as much. because the Mariners don't look good. So by default, I'd say Jays Rays. But if the Mariners get Julio back and, you know, Eugenio Suarez is back now, maybe the Mariners are a little better. It is interesting Toronto and Seattle both came into existence at the same time. But, no, I, I think Padres Braves is pretty good. Uh, he is Adnan Verk, NHL, MLB Network, and also the Cinephile Pod, where you can listen to him wax poetic on uh, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, we appreciate you answering the phone, man. Nick, Izzy, thank you. Go watch Cuckoo's Nest again. It's a great one. <laughs> Actually, I, I watched it probably two years ago again uh, on, on a rewatch. I watched it about six months ago. Yeah, so, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's so strong. Nicholson. Yeah. Genius. Oh, Nick Virtue. I don't know. It's actually the World Series. Remember, he wants to watch Game of the World yeah. Series. Yeah. He's, he's actually a great broadcaster, and he's doing like, he's calling the Dodgers game yeah. from in there. It's it's the best. They start miming that whole scene's amazing. How do you not get choked up at that ending? I mean, that's one of the great endings ever in movie history. Uh, appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon. See you, boys. Thank you.